my juvenile brain just kicked <laughs> in then when you just said I didn't have a problem with his length. <laughs> <All right. laughs> and welcome to the latest pod from Filmfile, the film show by film geeks. Four film geeks. And this week we remembered it's episode eight this time. And it's episode eight. <laughs> I'm Lee Ford. I'm Andy Meakin. And before we start in the action pack programme today, we've got film reviews, film news, a bit of banter, a lot of banter. That's why you come. That's why you, you want to spend your hour with us. Uh, but some housekeeping before we move on. Uh, thank you to all of you who listen. Uh, thank you for those who've subscribed. Our mission is basically world domination. So Please, if you're subscribing and you've got friends who are into movies and are film geeks, or just you think they need an hour of their life to be taken up by, by, by two guys just rambling on, please pass on any information about the film file. It's appreciated. And also your reviews. If you leave great reviews for us, it just helps bolster the program, bolsters our ego, and, and gives us that mission that we are looking for now is to get a sponsorship uh, and attach that to the program because we do this for free and we do it for love and we love you as and much we as do you it for you because <laughs> we know you love us but on moving on uh andy what have you got from the world wide web for news well we've got a pretty packed episode today so let's not ramble off too much when it gets to the news because there are three films that i want to cover towards the end okay which i believe that you've already seen none of them but i've had a lousy later. couple of weeks as far as for those who don't know, my, my background is I'm a film journalist for the BBC. I used to have a regular show and I used to see, probably with Andy, maybe three or four films a week. Now I don't have a regular series like I used to. I, I just find it very hard to, to be on the up. And I've missed so much. I've had so much going on. My apologies to you, our dear listeners, that I, I've just not kept up with it. But thankfully, Andy's got his finger on the pulse. Yay. Um, so let's start with the news. Let's rattle through some of these. So let's start with our favourite topics, reboots. Oh, it's reboot season. Don't we just love reboots? We always mention reboots. One reboot which has got some extra news this week. We already knew that Disney were delving into their back catalogue for the Disney Plus service, um, bringing some of their old franchises back. One of which was Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, which when it was first said they were going to be doing a new take on it, it's like, uh Okay, TV series, maybe. But now it's been confirmed that Joe Johnston himself is returning. Right, so the original film came out, was it late 80s, early 90s? In the 80s. Uh, Rick Moranis was a star, family, he played a scientist, and he accidentally, uh, they shrunk the kids, hence the title. Uh, and it was it was a, a really good, fair old adventure. Kids movie in, in typical sort of uh, stylish uh, Disney fashion, great special effects. There was a, a, a misbegotten sequence, Honey, I Blew Up the Honey, Child. Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, which kind of... Uh, Wasn't there also a Honey, I Shrunk the Pets or something? Yeah, I think then they, were, they got into those sort of straight-to-video sequels that, that really didn't do much. But it would be nice to go back because it, it, it's, it falls into that weird territory of being a reboot and, and a sequel at the same time. Yeah, Josh Gad's going to be cast. He's playing the son of Rick Moranis' character from the first film. And it's going to be set 30 years after the events of that first film, where Son repeats his father's mistakes and everyone shrinks. So there's a homage to it. With the names involved, it's now expected that the film will see maybe just a short-run cinema release before it goes onto the Disney Plus service. Initially, it was just, it's going straight to Disney Plus. But, you know, if you've got Johnston back, you might as well put it on the big screen. It's funny, I, I, I re-watched uh, Captain America First Avenger the other day, and how much 
that Joe Johnston had learnt from Steven Spielberg in that movie, and yeah. even sort of the stylization of the shots. And uh, and the main one is is the that opening tracking shot where they're walking through the ice, and it it reminded me of, of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Look at the legacy that Johnston's brought with his other fran- like franchises rocketeer. that he delved into. We need a rocketeer. We need a new rocketeer for the big screen. It's a great, great movie. And uh, I don't know if it's out on, on Blu-ray. I can't find it on any streaming services. It's a film I'd like to go back and, 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 uh, and readdress. Really yeah, it was, it was really of its time. Uh, it didn't quite capture Dave Stevens' zanniness of it. It had Doc Savage in, in the book, if I remember. But I absolutely loved it. Moving from reboots to sequels, uh, Venom 2 sequel. Did you like the first Venom? Did film? I like the first Venom? I'm going to be really honest. I, I saw it on a plane which always, when you see anything on a plane, sort of diminishes it. I saw it on a flight from from the UK to the US and I sort of watched it and it drifted over me. And I I think I might have even drifted out. I I can't say from that whether it held my attention because it's not like seeing it on a big screen and it's certainly not like seeing it uh, even at home viewing. I'm prepared to give it another go. I wasn't overwhelmed. I mean, I've never been a huge fan of the character of Venom. I always thought, same as Sam Raimi has always echoed whenever he was asked like about Venom in his films before the third one was made, he was forced to use him. He said he thought he was a two-dimensional character. There's not much substance to it. It's no. all hate, hate, hate. And when I watched the film, whilst there are aspects of it that was like, okay, they're trying to get the symbiotic bond being the more like the later Venom comics where they're starting to work together. Yeah. But the effects work let it down for me. It, well, looked, it looked Spawn 90s. Yeah. Film style of effects and it it just looked a mess however when venom 2 was announced with the director behind it i got more excited andy circus because if anyone can utilize motion cap and cgi kind of technologies circus is your man to get involved in there did you see his uh jungle book yeah i did that mowgli wasn't it yeah i thought it was very bold it was just unfortunately let down by the fact that jungle book had come out yeah. for disney and, and wrapped up and there was not not enough new in it to hold my interest. And it was a, it was a different story and a different take. It was more faithful to the book. Yeah, it just didn't hold my attention because a sense of overfamiliarity with it, which you always get when you get those those head-to-head projects of the same sort of IP. But obviously, yeah, Tom Hardy's returning. Which is an inter- he was an interesting choice because I, I felt he didn't have a lot to do. As long as he doesn't climb in a fish tank or lobster tank this time. It was I'll just odd choices in it. And it... You, you you felt it was it was studio trying to say one thing about the film while the director and the script was trying to go in another direction and then they were trying to marvelize it to a degree and it just felt it just felt a mishmash of ideas there was there were moments of it which reminded me of sort of an old universal horror film yeah which was this duality of character but there wasn't enough of that woody harrelson as was teased in the end credit sequence is in as carnage uh, Naomi Harris is in there, Michelle Williams, and most recently, Stephen Graham has uh, yeah. been added to the list. No one knows what character he's playing, what his involvement is, but I've got, I've got I've, ever since I very first noticed him in Snatch, yeah. I've got a very soft spot for Stephen Graham. He was great in Boardwalk Empire. Yes, and um, in The Irishman, which I'll get to later, yeah. he's uh, he pops up in there in a really strong role. Yeah, great. So when do we get that? Is that due? Is that started production, or are it's, we waiting? It's at the early stage. I mean, it's just finished the final casting, so well, I think it's ne- late next year. It's planning, right? It's a fast track round. I mean, the first film was quite fast track round. Yeah. Uh, so I'm expecting similar for this one. So on to another sequel, and one which gets me really excited: Train to Busan. Oh, I love that film. 
absolute joy of a film. I mean, it, as much as we've seen everything that we think that we can see of zombies, Train to Busan managed to do something fun, fresh and slightly different whilst paying reference to all the things that we've seen before. And I think the point is that it was a fun zombie movie. Uh, it kept you guessing. It was that perfect... There's a perfect horror film for me, which is which is great horror takes place in, in a situation where you, it, it's un, unescapable. Uh, and the classic horror films, including Night of the Living Dead, Evil Dead, uh, Alien to a degree, are when you're in a confined space. And Train to Busan brought something fresh uh, and different. There was a, a, a good dollop of humour. You never knew where it was going. It kept you guessing. Uh, and it was stylishly great as well. I mean, story-wise for that film, there's already been like the animated prequel. Yeah, I've not seen that. Um, it's pretty pretty good. Well worth checking out. But everyone since that film came out is like, are you going to make another? Are you going to make another? Are you going to make another? So summer next year, four years after the release of the first one, is going to be another film set four years later. So the zombie epidemic has completely taken place. And now it's onto the survivors within that aspect. No names from the original cast are expected to appear. Most of them died. Yes, but whether there might be some involvement in flashbacks or little side things, who knows? But all we know at the moment is that we're finally getting a sequel, and I cannot wait. If you've not seen Train to Busan, I think it's available on one of the streaming networks. I think it's on Amazon Prime. I think, yeah, I think I believe it is. Yeah. Give it a go. You won't be disappointed. Uh, sticking with horror, Stephen King news. Uh, of course, it's we've, been Stephen King year. We only mentioned last episode or the episode before. How Stephen King is so much in the public domain now and everyone's latching onto all his properties. Well, From a Buick 8 has been picked up by Thomas Jane and Courtney Lauren Penn's production company, Renegade Entertainment. And Thomas Jane's had previous uh, with, with Stephen King in the past. Yeah, uh, The Mist. Yeah. Like most famously, Dreamcatcher. Yeah, That's not, disappointing. Not a great adaptation. Some great visual ideas in there. I yeah. love his whole like inner mind bookkeeping, marvelously like perceived. But especially but, with the talent behind it, William Goldman, I think, did the script. But the, the, the changes from the book were unneeded. Yeah. And it, it was just a bit too daft. Yeah, yeah, it got silly. It really got silly. And, uh, I've not read from a Buick Eight. I've not. I, well, I've not either. I mean, all I know about it is it's it's that other lesser known possessed car tale. Yeah. Uh, know what what all the blurb is that you know it's set in a rural town which is plagued by supernatural events that may revolve around this 1954 Buick that's been held in storage, and that's all that I know about it. And now I feel like I need to read the book. Yeah, me too. And you've got me excited. I, I, you know what? Once I sit down with a Stephen King book. I do, the, do that thing of going, my goodness, there are 9,000 pages. Uh, will I ever finish this? And then I get started. It's a bit like going to the gym for me. I, I look at it and go, it's never going to happen. Then I make a start on it and thoroughly enjoy it. But it's that there's that always that intrepidation with uh, with the Stephen King novel. Well, yeah, so they picked up that one. I mean, like you say, Thomas Jane's got the history with uh, King material and a pretty solid history. I mean, he, even in Dreamcatcher, which was a bad film, he was pretty good. Yeah, I, I like Thomas Jane. He was the greatest Punisher. Oh, yeah. Bring he him was, back. Yeah, he was the perfect Punisher. So more Stephen King to come. And I'm sure that won't be the last on the Stephen King news. I'm sure we'll see a lot more getting snapped up. Hey, Eve, oh, well, I was about to wait till next, next time, but uh, we've not talked about the stand adaptation that CBS Plus are doing. Yeah. Their their streaming service, which has an additional chapter, yes, that kicked by King that himself. King has written himself. So looking forward to that, I and mean, we will get that. We'll probably get that via a Netflix or an Amazon Prime over here. Plants of the Apes series. 
You see, I'm a sucker for Planet of the Apes. I've, I've always been a sucker for Planet of the Apes. From the old rubber masks. Oh, they, they were great. I recently rewatched. I managed to pick up the box set on, on Blu-ray very cheaply and uh, ridiculously cheap that I, I thought, you know, worth the investment. I've probably had it on every every format available. And I rewatched Planet of the Apes and it's still a stunningly fantastic multi-layered film. There is so much going off of it. You can it's an adventure film, yeah. It's a science fiction film, it's an allegory, it's it's a, a political statement. There's a lot of black humor in it that I I'd missed in the past. Every time I see it, I'm always astounded how good a film it is. And and it's sort of forgotten how good a film it is with some of the poorer sequels that came after it. Really? <laughs> yes, I know. Can, <laughs> Hands up, Battle for the Planet of the Apes. But I had a soft spot for uh, Beneath the Planet of the Apes. It should have stopped there. But I do like Conquest. Escape's very silly. Uh, but I've got a, a soft spot. I, Yes, we all got let down by Tim Burton. But when it came back with Andy Serkis in that role, and it came back in a new, fresh way that was still had a reverence to the original series, but really did something new. This is what everybody was concerned when... Fox announced they were going to do another Planet of the Apes film. And it came back with something different, something strong, something visually different. I think they made some interesting choices, some surprising choices. For a film called War on the Planet of the Apes, it wasn't. It was very low on war. It was very low on it. And it was ended up being Bridge on the River Kwai. Yeah. Um, but that was was daring and it didn't live it didn't live up to the expectation, but it was a very daring film to make and had almost an indie film feel to it. So, yes, we do have a lot of scope to do something. I hope they do a sequel. They haven't confirmed whether it's a sequel, a new take. They'd be daft to just disregard Matt Reeves's yeah. input. That the trilogy of films with Circus involved in it grew. The third film, I felt, was better than the second film, which yes. was better than the first film. Yeah. And it's rare that a trilogy gets better as it goes along. Yeah. And it feels like a full story, but with enough seeds out there that you want to know more about that world. Where does the world go? At yeah. the end of there, it'd be great for them to pick that up because we'd be into proper Planets of the Apes territory then. Yes. Even like they could even do it as a kind of remake of the original series yeah. because on the very first one of the modern trilogy, they talk about Icarus. there was the news report about the project going yeah. off into space and going missing. Yeah. So why not bring it full loop and bring those astronauts suspended in time into this new Planets of the Apes yeah. future? So much, so much potential with the series. I mean, not only was there the old film series, there was the TV series. Yeah, I remember it. I remember it then from being a the kid. comic book series. There was a cartoon animated cartoon series. Cartoon animated series. So there's always been more and more stories that you can tell within yeah. this kind of framework. The director which they've got involved is someone who I've got a bit of confidence in, Wes Ball. Wes Ball brought us... The Maze Runner trilogy. I only saw the first and second. I thought the first one was very good. Second one went a little bit... The second one, off second one had some great moments in there. And it was very Last of Us in some of its um, yes. scenes. But it was very much a setup for the final part. Right. You could tell it was a middle chapter because it didn't feel like a complete story. Yeah. yeah. The, once you've seen the final part, it comes together nicely as a full film. And it was his commitment to sticking around for all three films, despite the fact that the, an injury on set delayed the production on the third film by, by a year, about, or so, yeah, about a year and a half. And he was like, well, no, this is my story that I want to tell. I'm sticking with it. Yeah. And he stuck with it, kept the cast involved, got it all made. He's a genre fan. Which uh, is important for Planet of the Apes, Which comes across honest. in all of his like interviews. He's very much like into that kind of genre. With something like Planet of the Apes, I, I want a director who's a fan of genre 
and has also got commitment to telling a full story. I'm hopeful that this is going to go well. I hope so. I, I think there's there's room for more ape stories. I think they are an allegory of our time. They say something about where we are generationally. There's a lot more, as you said, to, to talk about. There's, there's a, a whole world to explore. At the moment, it's still not, if we, we, we do pick up from where Matt Reeves left off, it's still not a planet. So it's interesting to <laughs> yep. see where it goes. Uh, you know, we, we touched upon what happened to humanity at the end of that film. And I think there's a, there's an awful lot more to tell. And I think, you know, you can you can do something very bold with it. And as Matt Reeves did, and, and go in its own direction, give it its own identity. Avatar. Do we really care? I think it's gone too far. However, I, feel, I always feel this with James Cameron, that I, I didn't really care about Avatar when it was first announced. Read out about it, it's like, eh. Mm, I'm a bothered, I'm a bothered. And then the trailers started hitting. I was like, yep, I'm on, I'm on. And then I love the film. I still love the film. I won't watch it on home release. I've never watched it aside from at the cinema. I just want those memories of it, watching it on the big screen. And yeah. then when I did get a chance to revisit it, I got to revisit it on the big screen. Yeah. And I still loved it. Whilst I'm not bothered about sequels two and three, which have now finished wrapping, targeted for November 2021 and 2022, that should give him plenty of time to do all the extensive special effects work yeah, um, CGI, and also work out how to fire hollow lasers into our retinas in order to give us the next. Yes, you're going to have to call it the new technology to to beat uh, IMAX 3D. But whilst I'm dismissive about it to some degree at the moment, I get the feeling that as soon as all the trailers start dropping towards the end of next year and so on, I'll suddenly start to get excited. It has to be an event. It's not like bringing back Star Wars. Star Wars has a comfortable familiarity with it, even though it's. And people forget that it was it was almost damaged goods by the end of the three prequels. Yeah. Uh, so when J.J. Abrahams brought it back, and, and people complained that it was a, a familiar story, I think it had to be. You needed that familiarity to remind yourself what it was you loved about the franchise. Yes, and, and if from, from all the things I've read about where George Lucas wanted to take it, I mean, thank goodness that J.J. took it over. <laughs> I think for Avatar, it didn't have that huge world building that Star Wars has or had. I don't think it has a, a, a hugely over familiarity with a lot of younger people who've, who weren't alive for the film, who were going to be the recipient of, of that film more than, than, say, our generation. I, I think it's an interesting gamble. I do believe, a bit like we saw with Terminator, that time has passed maybe just a little bit too too long for it to really become a cultural phenomenon that it that needs two two more sequels. I think the one difference between this and Terminator though is that Terminator unfortunately had multiple duff sequels yes. that had already turned the audience off. And, and it was those, already tired. And those sequels had already done everything that can be done with the franchise. Yeah. I mean, as much as I didn't like the more recent Terminator film. I think if we hadn't have had those Duff sequels in between and this was genuinely the third film made, I think it would have had a better impact. Yeah. Because it was showing you, ooh, completely different style of like bonding of the liquid to the like solid Terminator. Yeah. But we'd seen it too many times. Yeah. With with Avatar, because we've only seen that one film and we don't know much about the planet world that he's going to be using for this one, how he's going to be doing stuff. We've, we've had rumours of like underwater sequences which are going to blow our mind. Maybe he will just blow our mind again. It will certainly be visual and it will certainly have effects that will, will leave us agape. If the first film was Pocahontas in space, this one's going to be Little Mermaid in space, let's be honest. We briefly mentioned Star Wars in amongst all that rabble. It's only two weeks away. Two weeks away. Doesn't it open on the 19th? Yeah, uh, Thursday the 19th of December. It's, Are it's you excited yet? No, I'm not. I'm looking forward to it. I am looking forward to it. I'm not giddy 
about it. I'm almost reassuringly reassured and expecting it to be very good. I'm not expecting it to be a duff film. I just think I think there's that familiarity with Star Wars. You step into it. I remember when Phantom Menace came out, and there was such a buzz for yeah. Phantom Menace, even though we were all disappointed <laughs> uh, walking out of the cinema, going, "Okay, well, so that was it." So I don't know. I think I think the universe has, has become a little tarnished. While we like Rogue One. And I did like Solo. I think the the, the majesty of Star Wars has sort of have, have been diminished a little bit. It's 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 taken away from what was an event, uh, and and even things like the Mandalorian, which I know you've seen and I've not. But I I I am looking forward to it, even though I, I wouldn't say I'm giddy. Is the world giddy right now for it? I'm not feeling the buzz, not feeling the energy, and I work within the cinema industry. Yeah, and if you're not feeling the buzz within there, then there's something wrong. There's more buzz around. Jumanji than there is around Star Wars mm. and the pre-bookings haven't looked great across the UK for the midnight shows etc that are being put on whether it's going to be one of them that it gets like within a few days and then all of a sudden it swamps and it all sells out well it's you'd expect a Avengers Endgame level of anticipation yeah. but the pre-bookings aren't showing that that's interesting and maybe it's going to be the first like Star Wars films, well, aside from Solo, which we disregard, but the first of the numbered Solo Star Wars films that people just go, eh? Because even after Phantom Menace disappointed and Attack of the Clones upset and dis- like disgusted us, people were still excited for Revenge of the Sith. Yes. We were excited for Revenge of the Sith. Yes, we, we're but that was what we were punishment. hoping. <laughs> Let's hope this one's better. However, it must be said that after they did their official cast and crew and uh, special guests screening... Yeah. One person talking about it filled me with a good bit of hope. And that was? Have you seen Richard E. Grant's video? I have not, sir. Get onto his own Twitter account and his Instagram account and watch his video. And it's just him talking to the camera and the emotion that he's got in there where he's saying, like, he's just seen something. It's absolutely amazing. Absolutely wonderful. It's we everything that Richard you need e. Grant. to be. And you can see his genuine joy at what he's seen. And I was like, either he's a much better actor than I've ever thought him to be, and he's always been a great actor, or he genuinely loved this film and feels it was the perfect ending for the franchise. I'm a bit more excited about the film, not because of any of the special effects that I've seen, not because of any promo material, but because of a lovely actor who I absolutely adore telling me that I should see it. That's got me wanting to watch the film. Listeners, if you... If you... Have any comments or any speculations or any disagreements or you just downright want to rant? Get in touch with us via Twitter, which our Twitter account is Filmfile UK. We'd be really interested to hear from you, and especially on things like: Are you giddy about Star Wars? Is Star Wars as important now as it was all those years ago when we were waiting for uh, Revenge of the Sith? Let us know. Moving on. Final. Final bit for the news section just a quick roundup of netflix and also recent trailers that have been released so netflix over the next month we've already got noah bombach's marriage story which has landed big noah bombach fan uh, michael bay's six underground hits next week with ryan reynolds which looks like the most michael bay film ever looking at the trailer it must be so macho you can smell the male musk on it oh i'm telling you every, every female in this house suddenly started growing hairs on their chest watching it <laughs> uh, two popes the week after that and then The Neighbour for New Year's Eve. And at the same time, they're also churning out new series after new series, or like second seasons, third seasons. V Wars is out now. The Witcher, 
um, which, which is hotly anticipated, is for December the 20th and Lost in Space Season 2. I enjoyed Lost in that Space. That is going to make my Christmas Eve. I'm looking forward to Lost in Space. I enjoyed it. There was a lot of flaws with it. It was a little bit all over the place. I think they were very clever to defy expectation by not copying the series. So if you walked into it for the first time, that meant nothing to you. For some of us uh, who, who, who just about... I remember it from reruns. I don't remember it from the very, very first go round. You're not that old. <laughs> not that old. But it, it just sort of threw me a little bit. But I thought those those were very interesting changes. Uh, and they had a, a, a damn likeable cast that I yeah. want to see again. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Also looking forward to when they bring back Umbrella Academy. I, I didn't take to Umbrella Academy. No, I'm surprised. I, I tried. I got like three and a half episodes in and I just wasn't feeling it. Never read the book, so... Uh, I don't know if that was a part of it. I've not read the books myself. Okay, But the trailer for Lost in Space landed Looks great. the other day. Looks amazing. Other trailers of note. Mulan, the second trailer got released. Not seen the second trailer yet. I'm quite liking it. It's a, You know, they're saying they're taking this historical approach. They've gone very realistic, yeah, haven't they? It's looking like a really solid, like, what they should be doing with these live-action remakes. Yeah. Not just doing a Lion King and doing scene by scene, but taking the story and telling it in a new fashion. Can't wait for this. No time to die. Yes. Now, as I said earlier in the programme, I, I do work for the BBC as a film reviewer. Uh, and sort of uh, go-to media guru. I have not been off the airwaves over the last (laughs) few days with people talking about the Bond trailer. When you talk about what we've just spoken about with with Star Wars, there is a sense of level of excitement for this Bond film, and as well as some of the most stupid questions I've ever been asked about, uh, (laughs) about a Bond film ever, which is all to do with... Is he now, is it, is it out of date? Well, clearly not when people are still wanting to talk about it. Is he misogynist still? No, but yes, at the same time. <laughs> it's the character is a misogynistic character. That is, that's not part of, that's part of who he is, but does that mean it's necessarily going to be part of this film? I don't know, because I've not seen it. How much does the Fleabag creator bring to it? Does that mean that the, it's going to be funnier? Bond films have always had gags. Yeah, it's like most of some of the interviews that I've done. Most people haven't seen a Bond film, uh, definitely for the last few years. Is it really Daniel Craig's last film? Yes. And then we talked to manage to talk about the trailer, which looks great. <laughs> it looks everything that a Bond film should be. I think it's been really interesting what they've done with Daniel Craig in it, which which has been absolutely unique. And they've they've created a series as opposed to standalone films. They've all been interlinked. They've been intertwined as a series of, of sequels. Elements from the very first one that he did, Casino Royale, yeah. came into the last film and looked to be seeded into this as well. It's all been about his own journey. Yeah, it's it's, and uh, I, I think Craig's a, a fantastic Bond. I may even go as far as to say he's my favourite Bond. Ooh. It's not to diminish what anybody else does, maybe Roger Moore, but I certainly I certainly have, this is the first time I want to own them and re-watch them. Yeah. And I've rewatched them. The style looks good. I think Carrie Fukunaja is a great director. Uh, his stuff on, on True Detective was brilliant. Who cannot forget that one take uh, shootout sequence in, in the first season? I think he's, he's brought a style to it, which was sometimes lacking in Bond, especially in the 80s. Bond was very cookie-cutter looking. It always looked great and expensive, but it wasn't a particularly flashy-looking film. I think that's changed over the last few years. Very much looking forward to it. And the final trailer. Now, when Black Widow was announced, I was very, okay, I'm not that bothered. You see, I thought you were going to mention Jungle Cruise then. <laughs> we'll save that for a future episode. I wasn't that fussed. And as it's been in production, it's like, but 
do we really need any story of Black Widow? And then the trailer landed, and I am all over this like, with a rash. It's fan- It looks fantastic. It looks everything that I would want from a Black Widow film. Yeah. When they've announced in the past of various incarnations that there would be a Black Widow film before uh, the Marvel Universe came in, there's been at least three or four muted Black Widow projects. When that trailer opened, it was the Black Widow film that I wanted to see. It looks very Winter Soldier in um, yeah. its aesthetic. It looks action-packed. There's some great sequences it which you glimpse in the trailer. It looks big. It doesn't look and like... it looks personal as well. Yeah, it looked more like a Bond film to me than it looked like a Marvel Universe film. It had that big vista uh, location of uh, you know Budapest at the beginning. It has a real sense of style. It looks like a female James Bond, which yeah. Black Widow should. Uh, it still has those superheroish elements to it, which Black Widow should. Looks like an espionage thriller uh, and looks like a comic book movie. And as you said, it looks very, very personal at the same time. It will make us miss Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow if yeah. it goes where we think it's going to go, if it is the, the, the send-off. Uh, and we'll wish that there was a, there were other films that she could have made. But it looked it looked absolutely perfect. I am now, like you, I'm giddy for this one. Yeah, and that is what a trailer should do. Yeah. If you, you weren't sold on something, the first trailer lands and you're suddenly, wow, I need this film in my life. Yeah. That is the sign of a solid trailer. And that's one thing that Marvel have always done well. They've known how to trailer. Yeah. Don't know how to do posters, but they know how to make yeah, trailers. Yeah, the posters are just like cut and paste. Yeah. It's like five-year-olds. So that's the news. That's the news. So now we're going to be moving on to the film roundup for this week that you've not seen any of. I'm just going to sit back and let Andy <laughs> talk now for the next remaining half hour of the programme because I've been really lapsed. And uh, and it's it's weird because I don't think I've, I've been as lapsed as I have recently. Really suffered. It's been a few weeks since we last recorded, so there's been a good few films come out. I've managed to catch three of the biggest ones and there's so much more coming out over the next few weeks. We've got Jumanji, Next Level... We've got Star Wars. We've got Cats, if you like horror. <laughs> yeah, I, I, there's some interesting so rumours going busy around. Time of year, so we're not going to be able to cover everything, but I'm trying to pull out the ones that are like key. First of all, it's going to be running all the way through Christmas. It makes no difference that it's already been out for two weeks. Frozen 2. The worldwide phenomenon is now the number one movie in the world. <laughs> yes! Into the end. <laughs> That's normal. Frozen 2, now playing. Frozen 2, I kind of liked Frozen. I unashamedly loved Did the you? first film. I, were, I was almost in tears towards right. the end of it. It was, I, it was everything that a Disney film should be for me. I, th- I mean, I thought, you know, the levels of animation were superb. The songs were great. It wasn't my favourite of the new Disney films. But then again, it wasn't aimed at me. It was aimed at me. It would seem to be aimed at you. And I, I thought what they did was, was, was again, a quite a dramatically interesting turn of events by not making about a romance between a girl and a guy, but it was a, it was a relationship between two sisters. And that's, for me, in a nutshell, why it was a huge film. Yeah. Because it was about, about sisterhood. It was about your best friend and you being your sister. And, and it, was a, it was aimed at a, a, a demographic of girls that had never seen that before. And I thought for that alone, it was absolutely superb. Well, with how huge that film was and how huge that one song was, it was no doubt there was going to be a sequel. And most Disney sequels have always gone straight to home release. But this one was destined for the big screen from the offset. And so we see Anna, Elsa, Olaf, Kristoff and Sven 
return in a sequel that it's lighter on story, but I think it's funnier than the first film. Some of the reviews I've read is... Genuinely hilarious. Loved it, but where's the plot? Yeah, I mean, to get to get a background of the, the story, it starts with plot exposition storyland, which tells of a mystic forest where four elements are balanced and how disaster enshrouded the forest in a mist and trapped those inside forever. However, legend tells of a <coughs> fifth element... And you, Gary Oldman, though. <laughs> and you cut to the present day, and Elsa is hearing like a strange singing voice beckoning in her. When she responds to that voice, her land is put in peril, and the whole group of them have to go to this mystic faraway lands to go find out what's being calling and work out what the <coughs> fifth element actually is. Right. There's nothing original in there. No. And, and as I said, the most of the things that I've heard of it being disappointment about this is the plot. However, does it capture the charm of the first film? Yes. Which is the important element. The characters, you're already in love with them from the first film. They pick up exactly the same. They are still as charming. Olaf the snowman is still an amusing side character, but he's got some great... He's got a great moment where he recaps the whole story of the first film in like a 45-second sequence, and it adds all in stitches in the auditorium watching it. Songs-wise, not as memorable. Not as standout-ish. It's hard, hard to hit. The, but that's the... not to say that they're not good. There's one which is more memorable, will be more memorable for people of our age than it will be to any of the kids who won't latch onto it, called uh, Lost in the Woods. And it's basically an 80s ballad that the whole animation around that sequence looks like an 80s pop video. I Give me some 80s power ballad right now. It's absolutely brilliant. When that se- sequence started up, we were sat watching it and we're chuckling away and going, is this deliberately... Yeah, this is deliberate. They are deliberately doing this. This is great. And I was I was in love with it. But the songs throughout are good. The characters are as lovable as you remember. The story's a bit light. The animation is superb. It's coming leaps and bounds. I mean, it's only been a few years since the last one came out. And that was astonishing to look at. But the level of animation techniques has developed so much. There's scenery bits that you look at and just go, that's... That, that can't just be animation. They must have actually took a yes. camera to like the coast of Scotland and filmed something there. But no, that's how far we've got that it's photorealistic animation. Absolutely brilliant. Thoroughly enjoyed the film. It was one that after we watched it, it was like, I enjoyed that. Don't know how much. And the next morning it's like, I really enjoyed it and got the soundtrack. I want to watch it again. I'm looking forward to watching it again. Like I say, light on story, but it amused me and entertained me more than the first one. It had me chuckling pretty much all the way through it. That's Frozen 2. What else have we got? So we've also got Knives Out. Which I'm really looking forward to. Um, Again, scheduling for me has been all over the place. I think if there's one film out of all the films that we'll be talking about that I do want to see, then then Knives Out. This is Benoit Blanc, the private investigator of great renown. My father committed suicide. Why are you here? Everyone in the family has possible motives. That's some heavy-duty conjecture. None of them are murderers. <laughs> you know something. <laughs> Spill it. This is a twisted web, and we are not finished untangling it. Hello. Knives out. It just appeals to me from from the from that very first trailer. It was my kind of film. As someone who disliked Last Jedi, some people got confused with how excited I was about Knives Out coming out. They clearly have never seen Looper or Brick. Brick is a, uh, is a phenomenally good and interesting film. And I, I'm a big uh, fan of Brothers Bloom as well. I've not got a chance to see Brothers Bloom. 
it's a little bit all over the place. It's a little bit ambitious in a way, in a, in a very old-fashioned film style. The, the, the impression I've got with Knives Out as well. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll hold judgment until I've seen it. It was a little bit too clever. It was that, that second film syndrome of doing something and being bigger and having more money to, pay, to play with and, a, and a bigger, a bigger theatre to work in. But there's a lot about it I did like, an awful lot. I don't think Last Jedi was a bad film. I just felt that it didn't sit nice with the numbered Star Wars films. It didn't feel like part of that series. If it was its own film without those characters or with like those characters but given different names, I think it would have been like, yeah, I can accept this. But it was the fact that it was playing with already established characters that I kind of get what jarred you mean. against where I thought those characters were. And as much as I don't want to be that kind of fanboy. I can't help when I've grown up with these characters to feel that there was some disservice that went on. Yeah. But, you know, I've I've said before, Ryan Johnson, I'm excited to see him given something else in the Star Wars universe. He he brought an individualistic vision to it, didn't he? And That didn't really fit in with anyone else's vision. I'm always excited to see what project he's working on. And Knives Out intrigued me because it, it it looked on paper like Clue for a new generation. It looked like a, a nice murder mystery, but with a, a sense of humour to it. Without giving anything away. Is so, this film clue for a new generation? Kind of, but not. <laughs> okay, that's clear. It's a well-woven crime tale. Basically, the, the story of it is that after a family celebration, a famous crime novelist dies and it looks like suicide. However, a private investigator who is brought into the scene, who's been hired by an undisclosed person, to investigate it a bit further, starts to unravel loads of family histories and secrets that have been going on, meaning that you can never be completely sure as to who's done what and why and where it's all going. These are the hardest films from from history of being a broadcaster (laughs) to review because you can only really give the top-line idea of what it is without, without saying anything about it and whether you just enjoyed it or not. What can be said is that the dialogue is where it's all at in this film. It has some of the best dialogue exchanges that I've seen on film for years. Ryan Johnson knows how to fr- like get something framed. He knows how to get the best out of his cast, and the cast are clearly loving, bantering, bickering, throwing arguments back at each other. It flows. There's elements in the dialogue that are put in there as red herrings. There's elements in the dialogue that are very important, but they might seem very trivial at points in time. It is so cleverly written and so cleverly scripted that you get to the end and you don't feel at any point you've been cheated by any of the red herrings. You feel, oh, well, that, that, was, re- that was there for a reason. That was there to keep me guessing. Absolutely enjoyed it. It's got a great cast as well. Oh, Daniel Craig, Chris Evans, Jamie Lee Curtis, Tony Collette, Michael Shannon. I can never see enough of Michael Shannon on screen. I love seeing him pop up more and more. Lakeith Stanfield, Don Johnson. Who seems to have been having a resurgence over the Yeah, we had years. him in Watchmen. We had him in uh, Django a few years back. Christopher Plummer and Anna Deramas. I'm looking forward to it. I My plan is to uh, to get it seen within the next couple of days. Absolutely delectable dialogue. The attention's in the detail. And like I say, some beautiful framing. There's a sequence with Daniel Craig talking through ideas where watching the sequence and he starts taking his jacket off and then he rolls up his sleeves and by the time he's finished talking he's put his sleeves back up and puts the jacket back on and it's like he just did that for a monologue that was great I love that and you wonder whether that was scripted or whether it was just something that he did on set because it just feels so natural everything that the cast are doing feels like they were just 
They were there and they were involved in it. Brilliant. Thoroughly recommend it. It's doing well. It's probably going to be running for a while and it deserves to make the money. Fantastic. What else have we got? What's our, our final review? And so for those of you who can't make it to the cinema. Yes. That's been me. Uh, there's a film that we might have mentioned once or twice over the past episodes that how excited we were for it coming out. Uh, the Irishman. The Irishman. Only three people in the world have one of these. And only one of them is Irish. I have one. Angelo has one. Now you have one. This is beautiful. Would you like to be a part of this history? Yes, I would. Whatever you need me to do, I'm available. Well, a friend of mine said to me, I'm going to stay in and watch the Irish film about the Irish guy. And I thought he was talking about Father Ted at first. I, I was confused. Oh, go on. Mike Scorsese, um, reteaming with Robert De Niro, reteaming with Harvey Keitel, working with Al Pacino for the yeah. first time in that. Uh, we've got The Irishman, which is almost four hours long, I believe, in, in running time. Three and a half hours long. Um, it's an adaptation of I Heard You Paint Houses by Charles Brandt, which tells the tale of Frank Sheeran. And his involvement oh, with John Jimmy Pesci Hoffa. was the other one I was going to mention. Yeah. It, the involvement that Frank Sheeran had as a, a hitman for Hoffa. And Jimmy Hoffa, like, And yeah. all the um, mob that was around him. This is this is another Goodfellas. This is an old fellas, Goodfellas. It's a life story adapted from someone's life journal presented on screen in a historical context kind of way. But with some light elements in there to not drag you completely down. And some Great, great castings. I mean, you know, the aforementioned De Niro, Pacino, Pesci. You've also got um, Ray Romano's in there. Anna Paquin, who there's been a lot of controversy about she doesn't say much words, but it makes sense for her character if you watch it. Right. I hate this whole thing that people are doing a tally chart of how many lines females have and start to say, oh, misogynistic director's not giving the lines. Watch the film, get the context we had this with once upon a time in hollywood yes no extra lines were needed everything was conveyed in a beautiful role without words so it's not a measuring contest anyway that's a little rant on the side Be, feel free this is why we're here there was cheaper a, than therapy the only quibble that there was and this was always going to be a quibble was that cgi de-aging technology it took a good 15 minutes or so to get used to it and i think the biggest problem with this is we know what each of these actors looked like when they were younger. Yes. And it's not that. Right, okay. And so you see, I mean, Joe Pesci is the one who looks completely bizarre. He looks like a Satsuma with a, with a face drawn on it on some of the CGI things when he's younger because they've just really oranged his face. It's like, what is that? I don't get it. And it was jarring. But once I got over that initial shock, I became more accepting of it and didn't notice it going forwards. So are we looking at classic... Scorsese, are we looking at Return to Goodfellas, Casino, that period? Yes, definitely. It sits nicely in amongst all that era of Scorsese films. I absolutely loved it. I know a lot's been said about the runtime, but it's only 30 minutes longer than Wolf of Wall Street was, and I don't recall people complaining about that. And if I remember correctly, Goodfellas was, was super long. Yeah. The, the the issue that I've got, and it's not not an issue of, of running time, It's this is a film that, that was meant for cinema in my head. I, I find it easier to sit through three and a half hours in a cinema where I'm, I'm enclosed in, a, in, in that experience 
watching this on TV, no matter how big your screen is, it's still a home experience where it's easy to pick up the phone. It's easy to say, I need to get up and have a cup of tea. And and, and a movie like this is, is, a, is a cinematic movie. Saying that, I will watch it. I'm, I'm actually, uh, this is my plan after we finish tonight, is to, is to go and watch The Irishman. I have the time to do it. But... You know, it's 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 not the same as seeing it in a cinema. It's it feels it feels that's why you see a film at three and a half hours. Or do you do you watch it in smaller installments? I well, there's know. that guide that someone put together for splitting it up into like forty to forty five minute episodic chunks, which you can go and find, and like then you can do it like that, or you can read that and do what I did and binge watch the whole season in one go. Right. Okay. I see it like that. See it like that because. The, we're living in a world where people are happy to say, I watched all of season, like season three of Stranger Things in one day. Yeah. But they're not happy to watch one three and a half hour film. Yeah. And that seems bizarre. We're also in a world where the Snyder cultists wanting a 214 minute version of a bad film. Yes. And yet film fans and like, you know, people who say, oh, yes, I, I'm passionate about like the, the industry and passionate about film are moaning at a three and a half hour film. Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm I, no, I don't have a problem with a three and a half hour I, film. It, but I've seen some people who were saying, I would have seen it at the cinema, but it was too long as well. It's only for the immersive experience of watching it in the cinema. That's where you, you I engage more. I, mean, I engage in a cinema. I will engage with bad films in a cinema, which I won't give the time, to, time of day as, as much. You know, the, the, the one thing I miss about seeing, and this is not necessarily how my career has changed, but it's how, how the cinema distribution industry changed. You could see a film three or four days, sometimes a couple of weeks in advance, yeah. and you would get to see everything as a film reviewer. Now, th- those running times are, are very, very small, but I would sit and watch the most terrible film. It was my job, and there was something about watching it immersively in a cinema, which 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 makes it, it gives it a credence, it gives it a reason to be, and, and it's not like being direct-to-video. And I'm not assuming, I'm not saying for a moment that The Irishman is a direct-to-video. Is um, it cinema? But is it cinema? <laughs> There's a question. I just would like to have seen it on the big screen. I don't regret having watched it at home. I did watch it all in one sitting. I was engrossed throughout. At no point did my mind start to wander. Uh, no score, like some people say, oh, you can skip this, skip that. Scorsese's he's gone, no, 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 everything should be watched together because it's, it's all flows. And I see what he means. He's well, everything crafted a very be. good it's, story. There's nothing, nothing there that is, film. that is disposable. Everything is important for the journey of the character through it. Brilliant film. It's Scorsese back to fine form. And it, it's one that he can happily turn around and say, this sits alongside the ones that people always turn to and say that are the best of my works. Absolutely loved it. Master filmmaker at work. And in this case, is it cinema? I'll soon find out. (laughs) At this point, after the reviews, as you know, dear listeners, we talk about things which we find interesting or we've got excited about, we've watched, we played, we played and watched. And that might be the title of this week's episode. We played and watched. We played and watched. <laughs> but we talk about the neat things that we've enjoyed over the last couple of weeks. Uh, I've, I've had a couple, but I managed to get it down to one, which has been, it's the official Watchman podcast. I'm, I'm a big podcast fan. I've got a, an hour drive every day, and it's the perfect time to, to catch it with a podcast. I'm currently listening to the, uh, to the first season of Wolverine. Uh, podcast from Stitcher, which is fantastic. But I am enjoying the Watchman podcast. Craig Mason is the host of it, and Craig Mason was the uh, writer on Chernobyl. Uh, has his own podcast called Script Notes, which is uh, well worth listening to if you are uh, uh, wanting to be a script writer. And the way they do it is they play over 
three episodes. So they go back and talk about three episodes. And Damon Linderhoff, who's the Watchmen TV creator, is on is on hand to talk about the series and offer insights into the series, insights into the writing process, insights into the creative process. It's a really, really good listen. If you've been a fan of Watchmen, as we both are, yeah. it just adds a little bit more into it. It gives you a little bit of insight into the creative choices. And, you know, and everyone is, is, is very reverent to the work that Alan Moore and, and Dave Gibbons created. And, and that shows the love of that is, is the heart of, heart of all the podcasts, and which is clearly, therefore, is the heart of, all, of the series. Um, well worth a listen. Uh, highly recommended. That's the Watchmen official HBO podcast. I'll give that a check out. And your neat thing is? My neat thing, um, I'm back to, I mean, we've mentioned a couple of times that I've got a love of tabletop gaming. And on the run up to Christmas, obviously, there's people going to be having family celebrations and parties and New Year's parties. So I'm going to point people in the direction of my, one of my favourite party game makers, Big Potato Games. These are the guys you mentioned a couple of weeks ago that did the Blockbuster game. They did the game. Blockbuster game. That's, which is now on my Christmas list. I may point out, unless they listen and they want to send me one, I will accept gifts and bribes. But they do a variety of quick, fun games. Ones that involve rhymes, ones that involve drawing, ones that involve like th- crazy things you search for online and things like that. All ones that you can do team versus team and have good banter through. And at the moment, on Amazon... They're doing special package deals where you buy one of them, which I picked up, which you get Santa Banter, which is a game in which you have to describe a rhyme relating to um, a festive thing. And you also get, you got Got Christmas, which is a game in which you've got to try and trick people. You have six things to try and trick people over the course of an evening. So get someone to sing along to a Christmas song. Got you. You've got Got. If you get called out on it, you failed it. Order those two. And you get a little goodie bag and you get a free game in there as well. Fantastic. Which, what a great which I got Obama Llama, which is another rhyming game. They've also got packages for 30 quid, 40 quid, 50 quid, depending on what your expenditure is. The great little presents. If you're thinking like, oh, well, you know, what can I get someone? If you know it's someone who likes to have little parties around at the house, treat to these. They are great little party games. Big Potato Games are such a fun company. And you can tell that they're making games that they enjoy playing. Thoroughly recommend them. Big Potato Games. Go onto Amazon, search for Big Potato, check out all their store, find some good fun for the new year and Christmas period. Fantastic. Well, this has been it for The Film File, the podcast for film geeks by film geeks. And with a bit of luck, some great timing, bribery of a mince pie, we'll hopefully be bringing you one just before Christmas with our rundown of what we thought were the best films of the year. Yep. And we'd be able to talk about Star Wars by then, in other words. Hopefully. Star Wars if I've not episode. seen it by the time of the next episode, then I just don't know. That's something wrong. Really like. We'll speak to you soon. Cheers. Cheers.